Last week, Alex did a great job giving an overview of uh, the book. Uh, some of you maybe have saw that slide or you listened to the sermon last week or you've read the book of James before and you've thought, holy cow, we're going to cover an awful lot of topics or this is going to be like an eight-month uh, sermon series for us to get to it because James has five chapters, yet in each one is about 20 sermons uh, because it is so meaty. Um, I am excited to tell you and sad to tell you at the same time, we're going to take each chapter, but we're only going to pick one theme per chapter. Uh, and so I'm sorry if we don't hit your favorite uh, verse or your favorite section, um, but we're going to walk through the five uh, chapters and then we're going to go into uh, the Christmas series, which you'll be hearing about more. By the way, just a, a quick little side note, uh, our foster care Christmas party that we're throwing for the foster kids again this year. How many of you helped us with that last year in some way? It was an incredible time. Uh, we had 50 people from the county uh, social services come and, and be with us last year, which was unbelievable. I mean, we just had an incredible, incredible time. Well, we haven't even put the planning really together as far as volunteer teams. That is coming in, in a couple of weeks. They already have 80, uh, more than 80 RSVPs <laughs> for our party. Wow. So you don't even know the details yet of the party you are throwing and people are signing up for it. So uh, God is, is using us to be a, a source of hope for these families and these dear, dear kids uh, and, and receive love and, and some, uh, a fun night. So more information about that is, is coming soon. So if you missed Alex's sermon last week, you can check that on the app uh, or the website. We're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So if you have your Bibles or your phone or your device, go ahead and turn that on or open up to the passage. If you don't have a Bible, there are several Bibles in front of you. Please do not rely on the screen. Now, this is a small room. I've preached in, in rooms of, of a few thousand. You can't see who's following your directions. In a room this size, I can see you, okay? So you can't go, maybe you won't look at me. Well, there's not many of you, so I can see all of you. So if you don't have a Bible in your hand, please grab one in front of you. If you, if you grab one like Molly, who has no insides to it... Um, that is not a sign of the second coming. That is a sign of youth ministry. Uh, all of you grab a Bible or open yours or turn yours on uh, with the seats in front of you. I want you to have the Bible open and in your lap. James chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV English Standard Version. Here's what it says. James a servant of God and then of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, or your version might say perseverance, and let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This morning, we want to wrestle with a primary question, and that is this, how do you get through what feels like the impossible? A number of weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, we, we wrestled with mental illness and suicide awareness in this room. Heavy, heavy topic that is absolutely relevant with our culture, uh, not only today, but it always has been. 
And the question that kind of got raised during that time is, how do I get through something that seems like I'm not going to get through it? How do you get through a situation, a, a circumstance, a, a problem that you think is ungetthroughable? I phrased, I've, I, I kind of coined that this week, the ungetthroughable moments of life, where you can't just suck it up, you can't just pray, you can't just read your Bible and go, I'm going to think positively, I just got to think positive thoughts, I'm going to get through this. What happens when you're in that life situation when it feels like you just want to give up or you just can't keep going. When I was in the police academy, every class of an academy uh, has to get together and it's part of the team bonding, I guess, but you have to uh, develop a class phrase, kind of your motto that you'll shout um, when they tell you to shout it, et cetera. And then as you're graduating class underneath your picture, it'll have that and the, the date and all that kind of stuff, just pump and circumstance. But ours, uh, our academy uh, phrase was bigger, faster, stronger, never give up. <coughs> bigger, faster, stronger, never give up. Complete lie because there's always someone bigger, faster, and stronger, and we always give up at some point or another. Nevertheless, it was something to try and convince ourselves that we are bigger, faster, stronger, and never give up. The whole idea was that when you are in the worst of situations as a police officer or in the academy, that you would somehow remind, remind yourself that you are bigger, faster, stronger, never give up. Specifically in the academy, their thought process was, well, when you are getting uh, OC'd or pepper sprayed, or tased or hit with a baton in the midst of your training that you would remind, remind yourself, I am bigger, faster, stronger, I will never give up. For me, that wasn't the issue. I could be yelled at all day. I could be pepper sprayed. I could be hit with a baton. I could run forever. I could stand at attention for hours on end with spiders dropping from my hat, which I, that's another sermon story that I'll tell you about. But I could do that all day long. The thing I couldn't do, the thing that I had to rely on the Lord and the bigger, faster, stronger, never give up phrase was when during physical training, they made us do this. <laughs> this was the epitome of hell on earth for me. Now to each their own, you might be looking at there going, you're a wuss. Okay, fine. I'll embrace that. I am a wuss in regards to lying leg raises. So, uh, we had a, uh, a attack officer. Her name was Penny, Penny Willard. And if you're listening, Penny, I love you now, hated you then. <laughs> Penny would walk around and she was just one of these people where if you picture like a Marine drill sergeant, uh, she just had like hatred for humanity. And she would find anything that you were weak at and make you do that. Well, I made the mistake of shaking at the very beginning of the academy because I don't know, I got weak abs or I eat too many donuts or whatever it is, but lying leg raises killed me. Absolutely killed me. Now you might be sitting there going again, what a wuss. I'm not talking about they come up and then they go down. No, no, no. They come up and then they go get coffee. <laughs> and then they go for a drive and your legs are still up. And, and I hated this exercise. And Penny Willard knew that I hated it. And when I became class captain and oversee our class, we spent forever doing just this. Well, the result is for about six months, I received abs. 
<laughs> and then I graduated and quickly got rid of those abs. <laughs> Trials are an interesting thing. And there were many times in the heat of the day, lying on the grass, wondering, am I going to survive this because the pain was so much? And the question, again, we're wrestling is, how do you get through a life situation that seems unget-throughable? How do you keep going when it feels like you just want to give up? And I'm not talking about the light-hearted moments like leg raises. I'm talking about the deep and, and more uh, painful moments of life, those moments where you don't quite have a good answer to it. The time that you lost your job and the timing could not have been worse. Or a situation that, that maybe happened to you that felt very, very unfair. Maybe the financial crisis that you're in right now and the timing couldn't be worse. Maybe it's the issues in your marriage. Because these are the type of adversities that come our way and then we have to respond to them. And the reason that we're addressing this is this, because what you believe about the adversity you face will determine how you respond to it. Now, again, in a room this size and for people listening online, to each their own. You don't have to share what the trial is that you have recently faced or you are facing, but to each their own. For one person, it might seem like the end of the world. For the other person down in your aisle, they go, suck it up, it's not that big a deal. We're not doing that. We're, we're talking very specifically for you in your trial, what is it that you're wrestling with? And this statement is so unbelievably true that I have found is what I believe about my adversity, not about adversity in general, but about my adversity will determine how I respond to it. What you believe, what, what you think, your, your framework that you choose to address it or, or see the adversity in your life is going to determine what your response is going to be. There's a cognitive psychologist named Albert Ellis. Anyone know good old Albert? Oh, perfect. All right, so this is Albert, uh, quite a guy, looks super smart. He came up with a model that deals with uh, how do uh, humans deal with adversity. He calls it the ABC model. It's, it's fairly easy. Uh, oftentimes you, you see someone who's invented something or has come up with something and you go, man, why did I think of that? I could be a millionaire by now. Well, you didn't, right? All right, so he came up with this ABC <laughs> model for how we respond to challenges or adversity or, or in other words, how we go through it. He said, first of all, with A, there's an activating event, something happens to you. You get the phone call in the night. You uh, get an email. There's a knock at your door. Something activates you. An event takes place or a situation or a struggle comes your way. That's A. B is then you are stuck with your belief. What do you believe about that event? What do you make of it? How do you wrap your mind around that in the initial stages and also long-term? And then see there are the consequences of the event, what you believe about it, and the consequence or your action associated with it. You make a decision, there's an action, it's the A, B, and C. 
And the reason why uh, Ellis's discovery is so impactful for you and I is because the same situation can happen to each and every one of us, and yet with very different beliefs, it can lead to different choices and then different consequences. Are you with me? This, this has significant effects even in mental illness, struggles, etc. Is The same thing could happen to one, and yet how we uh, receive that active event, what we believe about that event, and what we choose to do with it then affects consequences. This all matters because this is theology. There's nothing new under the sun. God already talked about this. James is saying, whenever you face difficulty, whenever you face a trial, I want you to consider not just the negative thoughts that, that our mind instantly goes, the frustration or the doubt, consider that there might be, there just may be, perhaps there could be a way that you might be able to understand it that there may be something else that you can believe about it, that you can give it hope that can lead to different consequences and, and very different choices and therefore a different outcome. And I know this raises a question. Do we just, are, are we supposed to just then enjoy our struggles and enjoy pain? In fact, are we to look for pain? There, there are some theologies out there that talk about that. And I don't believe for a second that's what James is saying I, we're, we're not to be martyrs of our own pain to go out and look for it so that we can somehow get joy. I don't think that's what James is saying. At the heart of it, James is inviting us to see our trials, our struggles differently, to view them, to look at them with a different angle. You guys know this in photography or, or you look at things on the internet, angles matter. Have you noticed that? They're like classy, classes on how to take selfies because if you do the wrong angle, it adds like 100 pounds to you. And it usually happens when parents try to do a selfie and the kids roll their eyes and go, let me show you. Angles matter. Distance matters. And I want to walk through four very, very practical ways that James invites us to frame up and understand the struggles we face. Does that make sense? Four ways that James is saying, when you, not if you, when you face a trial of some kind, here's how you're to view it. Here's the angle that you are to take. The first one is this, is that trials can reveal your true character. Now, on every one of these four, I use the word very, very carefully, the word can, because there's no, uh, there's no guarantee, there's no plug and play, there's no formula, and it's two-part. God has a relationship with us, and so Trials won't always reveal your character. They can reveal your character. And so we're going to unpack that briefly. Verse 2 says, consider it joy when you go through a struggle because that struggle can reveal your true character. In fact, the word James uses 
for the trial is a Greek word, parasmos, and it literally means a situation or a struggle and adversity that will always reveal one's character. There's a purpose to it. It's almost like how many of you have ever been, you can raise your hand if you're proud of it, how many of you have ever had to get on the treadmill for a stress test and you survived? Did you survive? <laughs> Rhetorical because you're here. You survived it. But what it does, a stress test, they get you on a stair climber or on a treadmill. I think they, they're, they're paid with incentives if they kill you. Um, but you get on a, a stress test machine and you either survive or you don't. And then it spits out like what you have to do. And then you probably don't go do what they tell you to do, which is to exercise and eat better. But these stress tests, they actually do this. And adversities, trials do the exact same thing. You get stuck in traffic and you end up saying things either out loud or under your breath or in your head, things you would never say in public. How many of you ever guilty of that? Yeah. That is the sinful world right there is behind the wheel. Especially if you hit Denver traffic at the wrong time. Or someone gossips about you. And you hear about it. And then you gossip about them behind their back. Or you don't get the promotion that you know you deserve. Or you don't get the gray that you worked hard for. And a bitterness wells up inside of you towards your boss or to that teacher. And how we respond quite often is ugly. It may not be in response to where everybody else knows it, but you do. You know that ugliness that wells up inside your heart when you're facing your trial again. This doesn't always have to be a death or a losing of a job or a house burned down. This can be the trials of what you are facing right now. But it, it unearths something that we then either have to ignore or justify or deal with. And that's not fun. It's brutal being honest with ourselves. And all too often when a trial hits, we discover some truths about ourselves that we'd rather not accept. There's a philosopher, Paul Tillich. He describes it this way. He says, suffering takes people beneath the busyness of life and reminds them they are not who they thought they were. Some of us think we're strong until the most painful thing we could ever imagine hits our hearts and then we break. You know what that's called? Human. Human. It's okay to not be strong enough, fast enough, big enough. Just think about this. James is saying, I want you to consider maybe 
your trial is an occasion for joy. And it's, if for nothing else, you discover a truth about you that you might not want to admit that you stop pretending to believe or to be something that you're actually not. And, and maybe the trial that, that you and I face isn't, it's not out there, it's in here. Because most of us are pretty good about rolling with the punches about what life throws at us out there, meaning physically. Meaning we could wake up and get through the day and get to our bed and survive it. Are you with me? But, but maybe the trial isn't that. It, maybe it's in here. Those dark places that our trials take us. Those sad places, those feelings of being defeated and, and alone and struggle. Sometimes it's not about overcoming the physical. It's about addressing the internal. And maybe there's something that you need to grow in through that because trials, they don't just test us, they reveal some of our character. And there's something else, number two, they can also make you stronger. Now, I don't want to go to the song. Do you guys know what song I'm talking about? What song am I referring to? Why do you know that, Josiah? <laughs> Trials can make you stronger. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because this is the why. Again, this isn't an author. This isn't Brian. This isn't Rock Creek Church. This is the word of God says, because when you do face these trials, you know that the testing of your faith, that word testing means being run through a purifier, a, a redeeming process in the fire. Your faith produces something. There's a purpose to it. It produces perseverance, steadfastness, in other words, you gain something that you otherwise would never have gotten had you not gone through that process. You gain the ability to get through what feels ungetthroughable. Wouldn't that be a good thing for us to wrap our minds around? To have that steadfastness? And sometimes it's a learned behavior. To know that when the trials hit us, they're not going to kill us. I will survive this. I can remember my very first foot pursuit out of the academy. I thought I was going to die. Again, I'm weak. I'll admit that. My abs were, were not strong. And you wonder why officers are angry by the time they catch someone. That is because the officer almost died. Not at the hands of a weapon, but at the hands of their lungs. The whole time in my foot pursuit, <laughs> I wish I had a recording in my mind because I kept thinking to myself, don't die, don't die, don't die. It was like in stride, every step, don't. It was like, you know, a, a rhythm. 
I don't even know if I was focused on the individual. I just was running. And I don't know if I was saying don't die to my cardio or don't die in the seriousness of the situation. Well, as years went on, I just ran and I no longer had the don't die with cardio. I just had the don't die from the danger. There was something that happens in the trials, in the pushing of the body, in the pushing of the mind, in the pushing of the heart, that the things you once thought were so prevalent and a risk to you, you realize it's going to make me stronger. This is hard to wrap our minds around when we're a teenager. Do not let anyone look down on you teens. Because the ones that do have forgotten what it's like to be a teenager. So forget them. It's hard to be a teenager. It is hard when your world is crashing down on you and you feel like, I can't get through this. And man, do I feel that for you. That's why I pray for you guys. It is hard to be a teen in today's world. The Bible says we need to grow in steadfastness or, or perseverance because perseverance is not about staying on top of your problems. You ever had someone tell you that? Like, well, you just need to stay on top of your homework. You won't be stressed. Well, you just need to address your friends and you won't be stressed. Baloney. That's hogwash. The Bible says something completely different. It doesn't say be on top of it. As much as culture wants to tell us that, that you should own it, you, you look danger straight in the face and you tell it where to go, perseverance actually comes, the Bible says, from two Greek words. You want to know truth about stress and trials and perseverance? Let me give you some truth. It comes from these two Greek words, remain under. So much of life is just like that. And what culture wants to say is, oh, no, 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 you're the strong American. You get on top of that rock. You own that trial. You own that stress. You own that difficulty. You own that heartbreak. You don't let it own you. The Bible says your perseverance and your steadfastness comes from being squeezed but having the right perspective from it. And so much of life is just like that. We remain under the stress, the burden, the weight, the challenge that we feel like we just have to keep carrying and carrying and carrying. And sometimes the best picture of faith, and that's what we're interested in here at church, but sometimes the best picture of faith is hanging in there. Because tongue-in-cheek, it will make you stronger. We want to give up. Oftentimes, we just want to throw the towel in. We, we want to give up because, God, if you don't get in here and change my circumstances, then I'm going to view it as a sign that you don't care about me. I've prayed and asked you to take away this trial. You're not taking it away. Therefore, you don't care about me. Let me just give you some truth. That's the enemy speaking to you. That is not the God of all creation. 
He's trying to lie to you. He's trying to deceive you. He's trying to question the only person of hope that you have. And here's the thing, though. And we have to get comfortable in this place. If we're going to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, if we're going to take that next step in faith, if we're going to live the life that God has wanted us to be, then we need to wrap our mind around and be comfortable with this statement. God is more concerned with your character than with your circumstances. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. But he is more concerned with who you are becoming than what you're feeling. And we have to be okay with that. which is why God will allow us to struggle. He may allow us to have difficulty. He may even allow us to fail. It's not a sign that he doesn't care. In a very, very mysterious way, it's a sign that he does care so that we can persevere, so that we can grow, and so that we can get stronger. But if you listen to the world, or if you listen to your own heart, it will come with judgment towards God. And it's often our setbacks, our struggles, our failures where we grow. There's a writer, David Brooks. This is an unbelievable statement in one of his books. He says this, when most people think about the future, they dream up ways that they might live happier lives. But notice this phenomenon. When people remember the crucial events that formed them, they don't usually talk about the happiness. It's usually the ordeals that seem the most significant. Most people shoot for happiness, but feel formed through their suffering. If someone takes you out for coffee and goes, man, I look up to you so much. I watch you. I care about you. How did you become the man or woman you are today? Very few of us are going to go, lots of time in Tahiti, laying on the beach, (laughs) sipping Mai Tais. Like, that's how you become this. (laughs) We don't. Someone comes to you and says, man, you're you're such a strong woman. I want to be more like you. Tell me, like, what your secret? You don't go, man, just lots of naps. <laughs> just changes your life. <laughs> just happy, like everyday peace, perfect kids, great job, unbelievable vacations, just. Whew. No. I've been around the church a long time. And every time I hear someone talk about the character they have, it has come through trials. Kids, I, I wish there was another way. I, all, all of the adults in this room, if we could take all of you teenagers and the pain that you will have and the trials you will have for the rest of your lives going into adulthood... I would stand in front of that train today, but I can't. 
Our character is strengthened and grown by going through trials. And yet culture tells us resist and get through a trial every chance you get as fast as you can. That's just not what the Bible says. We aim for happiness, but we grow when we face trials. We desire and look and plan for, for peace, and yet we're grown and groomed and formed in stress. James is saying, consider it a joyful thing, a good thing, if your life, that God, he isn't finished with you. Consider that a good thing. He still has work for you to do that you can get stronger. This is what the trials reveal in you. They grow you. And number three, they can help draw you closer to Jesus. They can help you grow closer to Jesus. If for no other reason, consider it a good thing that when you go through a struggle, it can draw you closer to Jesus himself. There's, a, there's an amazing uh, picture of this in the scriptures. The disciples encounter a man who is struggling, a man who had born, been born blind. They had difficult questions to Jesus about this. And they come to him and they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, who can we blame? Someone has to take it for this tragic situation. Who is at fault? And then Jesus replied, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words... Sometimes there isn't a good why. Sometimes there isn't a good answer. But there is something that's always true in every trial and in every difficulty. That the work of God is always present. And you might have to squint, you might have to dig, you might have to look really hard, but he's there. You see, it's in your pain and your struggle and in those trials that God finally shows up. In my opinion, that's why we see the acts and works of the Holy Spirit in third world countries where there are predominantly unreached people groups because there is absolute heartbreak and trial and pain. That sense of loss and that doubt, that's where God is. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If, if you want to hold on to something, if you are facing a trial today, if you need some kind of hope, then grab Psalm 34, 18 and write it in every room of your house, on every mirror, in your car, at your desk, everywhere you go. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If you're feeling crushed in your spirit this morning, the Lord is near to you. In the past three weeks, I've had three very close people to me pass away. Two of them are former students of mine. One struggled his whole, whole life, Wyatt, with uh, cystic fibrosis. And finally, his body just couldn't fight anymore. 
another one of my students, Justin, was on a walk with his new bride and felt pain in his chest and called an ambulance and had a heart attack and died. On Friday, one of my dear friends, Jose Marino, who was uh, a, a former high-level gangster, spent tons of time in prison, found Jesus, radically changed his life, opened a, an addiction recovery center in Oxnard, California, changed the lives of hundreds of men and women that were getting clean and finding Jesus and felt pain in his liver and went to the hospital and died two days later. And it seems like every time my phone buzzes, I'm, I'm waiting for the people that I love to pass away. And I feel that. And it causes me just a roller coaster in my head, if you can relate to that. Where you're kind of going down and then back up and twisting and turning and looping. And... But here's what I do know. That hundreds of thousands of people are being drawn to prayer because of these deaths. Hundreds and thousands of people are being drawn to hearing the message of hope in Jesus Christ because of these trials. And you see, no one can tell me and no one can tell you why a 29-year-old has a heart attack. Why there are, are tragic deaths and, and miscarriages. Or why people struggle with pain and loss and, and heartbreak. But here's what I've learned. Your pain is not where God is absent. Your pain is where he is most nearby. This is James. And then fourth and finally, our trials don't have to have the last word. They don't win. Because Jesus, your trial, your challenge, your struggle, your pain doesn't have to have the last word. Whatever it is, no matter how long you've carried it, there's a finish line. Look at how James frames this. He says, count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or steadfastness. Let that perseverance have its full effect finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, something deeper is going on than what you see or feel. I don't have an answer for all your pain. I do not have an answer for all of your trials, but I do know something is happening in your life for those who follow Jesus. And notice James doesn't describe the finish line in terms of your circumstances. James doesn't say, hey, one day your marriage is going to be perfect. Just hang in there. One day your finances that are pretty rough, you are going to win the lottery. Don't worry about it. You know that job loss? No worries. Apple's going to be calling anytime. 
James does not give that kind of hope. One day, I wish to God he would say this to Sandy, one day you're going to be without pain. But James doesn't say that. He does say one day you are going to be perfect, whole, complete, mature, not lacking in anything. Something more important is going on in that struggle. Something more important is going on in that challenge. You are at stake. Your character, the shaping of your heart, your eternity. I love how Dallas Willard frames this. He says, the main thing God gets out of your life is not the achievements you accomplish. It's the person you become. God doesn't care how nice your cabinets are or how great of a job you have, or how well you detailed your car, or how great your vacation was. Achievements, notoriety, things we focus on. He doesn't care how nice your yard is. That breaks my heart, but he doesn't. I love myself a manicured yard. He just doesn't care about it. It's the person you are becoming. And you see, at the end of the day, it's really about you. It's who you are. It's your heart. It's your life. It's your will. It's your character. It's the stuff that you'll take into the life that's coming. That's what he is so invested in. Does he care about your grades? Of course he cares about your grades, but he cares about who you are in your grades. And that's what he's at work out in right now, which means that sometimes we go through struggles. We go through pain. Sometimes we experience uh, challenges that reveal us, grow us, or draw us closer to Jesus, but it also means that there's a promise embedded deep within us, and it's this. God still has you. I love how the writer of Hebrew frames it. He says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy he faced every trial. We tend to talk more about that at Good Friday or around around the Easter time, but in the joy he faced every trial, for the joy that he went through suffering, for the joy of being with you and me, that he faced that trial, for the joy he did it, which is why we persevere, which is why we keep believing, which is why we trust and we hang in there. It's why we're surrendering and why we continue to have faith. It's why we still read our Bibles and we bow our heads in prayer and we grab the family together and we we direct our family's hearts towards Christ, even when things really are not going the way we want. It's why, as the writer of Hebrews says, that we must run the race. Friends, he had you at the beginning 
He will carry you to the end. And he is like that partner running with you saying, no, 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 you are a bigger, faster, stronger. Don't give up. You really are bigger, faster, stronger. Don't give up. I've got you. And that's what James is saying to us this morning. So be blessed and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are unbelievably grateful for your word that gives us guidance, that gives us some perspective on our trials, our hard times. And I know that there are a few in this room that, that their trials, their pain, their anguish are, are beyond words of heaviness. And yet your word says that your burden is light and that you'll carry those. And so somehow in your way, would you be a reminder this morning? Would you be a voice of optimism and truth and redirecting our thoughts? Would you allow us in song to come before you, as Alex said, and surrender as we unite as the church in song and in prayer so that the voice of the saints would be lifted to the heavens and that the enemy would lose and that you would win? pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please stand?